0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, God's Word to us today comes from 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 6. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 6 here in just a moment, will be God's Word for us today. Now, if you pay attention to our culture, and if you pay attention especially to our media consumption, one thing that you'll see that we are fascinated by is courtroom drama. The title of today's sermon is God's Testimony Concerning His Son. And we, as human beings, we're fascinated by courtroom drama. I mean, think about it. I can still remember an entire nation being glued to the TV when I was like seven for the O.J. Simpson trial. I mean, think about the movies that we watch. Classics like To Kill a Mockingbird or A Time to Kill or A Few Good Men. I mean, I could watch over and over and over again Jack Nicholson yelling at a young Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth, right? Or think about Law and Order, was such a successful show. Or Judge Judy, anybody ever watch Judge Judy? <laughs> right? We're fascinated with courtroom drama, we can't get enough of it. But specifically, as justice hangs in the balance, I think we're specifically fascinated with the testimony and the examination of witnesses that are called to the stand. I mean, think about it, they're sworn in under oath, they usually have their hand placed on a Bible as they do this, and then they are given their opportunity to present their evidence, their side of the story, and then they're cross-examined by opposing counsel, by the other attorney. And this, often, at least in the movies, I haven't been involved in any big jury trials in real life, but at least in the movies, this is often what tips the scale in one direction or the other for the ultimate decision, guilt or innocence, Well, the New Testament is much like a courtroom drama. The New Testament, much like a courtroom drama. One of the biggest questions of the New Testament is, how are we to believe that this man, Jesus, actually was the Son of God? What evidence do we have? Witnesses are called to testify to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that He was more than just a man, that He is the Son of God. The New Testament begins with, Four accounts that we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in these Gospels, the main question for society at large has always been, are these reliable accounts of eyewitness testimony? Are these four Gospels reliable accounts of eyewitness testimony? There are some fascinating resources out there on this topic. This week I hope to put a post up on our blog, on our website, of some really, really good helpful resources that you can go to for that very question. Are these Gospels reliable accounts of eyewitness testimony. John starts out, in this very book that we're studying, 1 John, if you remember at the beginning, John starts out and says that he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses to Jesus. Eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. They were eyewitnesses. They saw Him. They were with Him. They touched Him. They hung around Him. But this morning, in our passage from John 5... John tells us that God has taken the stand. God is now testifying concerning His Son. So let's read our passage together. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 6. There we read, This is He, talking about Jesus, This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood, and the Spirit "...is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself." Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know That you have eternal life. God's testimony concerning his son. There in verse 9 it says, this is what we're talking about today. This is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. And specifically he has testified in three ways. The spirit, the water, and the blood we read there. God has testified in three ways concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And we'll take them in turn. But before we get to them, we have to ask, what is this water and blood that John talks about? Because if you look at our passage, it's not exactly clear. My guess is that when John originally wrote this in the first century and sent it out, the people who would have been reading his letter, they had some kind of understanding as to what this was, so there was no need to explain it. My guess is that they just didn't need to explain this because they had an understanding. But living 2,000 years removed from this, having not run in those circles, we don't know exactly what he's talking about right off the bat. And so it would have helped if he would have left an explanation. But there are times in the Bible where there is no explanation. And so you have to do your best to discern and to research what is he talking about here. Now, there's a debate. Honestly, there is. There's a debate here as to what the water and the blood is referring to here, that John's referring to by the water and the blood. Some take this as a reference to the blood mixed with water that flowed out from Jesus' side when he was pierced on the cross, if you remember. After Jesus had died, you know, the soldiers come up to him to make sure he's dead. They jab a spear in his side, and it says, blood mixed with water came out of his side, right? But I don't think that really makes sense when you look at the text. I mean, John says... That he did not come by water only, but by water and the blood. And that distinction there, that doesn't seem to really fit the interpretation if you're believing this is the water and the blood that flowed from Jesus' side when he was pierced. Some think this is a reference to the two ordinances of the New Testament church that God has given us, Christian baptism and the Lord's Supper, water and the blood, so to speak. I also don't think that makes sense of the passage, uh, because it says Jesus came by Water in the blood. It came by. He came by water in the blood. I don't think that's the best explanation of that here. Most commentators believe, and I think they're right. I think this is the correct interpretation. Most believe that water refers to Jesus' baptism that he received from John the Baptist, and blood refers to Jesus' death on the cross. The water and the blood. Jesus' baptism and Jesus' death on the cross. And I think they are right, and that is what I take this to mean. And so the question then becomes, how is Jesus' baptism a testimony from God concerning His Son? How is Jesus' death a testimony from God? And then we have the Spirit. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Let's look at the water first. The water being Jesus' baptism. So we have to ask ourselves, how is Jesus' baptism a testimony from God concerning His Son? How does that work? Well, what happened when Jesus was baptized? What happened? Matthew tells us in Matthew 3. This account is helpful. Matthew 3, starting in verse 16. You don't have to turn there. I'd encourage you to stay open to 1 John, actually. But this will be up on the screen. Matthew 3, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So what's happening here? God is testifying concerning that man who was just baptized by John the Baptist. God is saying, That guy is my son. For everyone who is here, for everyone who is in earshot, so to speak, It seems like he's saying, this is my son. This is the one that I have chosen. And he doesn't just testify audibly, but it's visually too. God has the spirit, the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove that people can see. And so God is setting his seal, his anointing on Jesus, telling all of those people around him, this is my son. This is the one. Interestingly enough, this is one of the places in scripture where All three persons of the Trinity show up at the same time. We worship not just a simple God, but we worship a triune God that we like to say. Triune, Trinity. We worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All being God, all being distinct persons within the Trinity. And they're all here. But God is testifying both visibly and audibly concerning Jesus Christ. This is the one I have chosen to work out my plan. This is my son that I have sent into the world. I want you all to know that. It's kind of like if you're an employer and you were to receive a resume for a a job that you were taking resumes for. Well, sure, the, the claims on that resume might be good and those are good to read. And that person probably gives you some references. And yeah, you can call their references, but we all know those are the people that they wanted to give you as references. Those are the people they want you to call, because those are the people who are going to speak well of them, presumably. But what happens if someone that you know and respect and admire calls and vouches for that applicant? Well, then that that changes things, right? That speaks a lot more than just the applicant Himself, all right? So it's kind of like that. God is giving a witness to this man, Jesus. How are people to know that Jesus is the one? And God gives a testimony, a testimony of the fact that this is the one that I have chosen. Listen to him. This is the man that you are to follow. This is the one who will redeem the world from slavery to sin. And so God's first act of testimony here according to John in this passage, is Jesus' baptism, the water. But we've also got the blood, Jesus' death. God testified concerning His Son at Jesus' death. Now again, we have to ask, what happened there that God was testifying about Jesus and His divinity, the fact that He was the Son of God? What happened at His death? Well, again, Matthew's account is helpful. So in Matthew 27, verse 45, we read, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. This is when Jesus is on the cross, all right? Back then, they used to mark time by the coming up of the sun. And so the sixth hour would have been somewhere right smack in the middle of the day. And so as the sun is at its highest point, darkness comes all over the land for three hours. This is unmistakable if you would have been there. This is not like, oh, clouds are coming over the sun. It's it's darker than it usually is. No, it would have been darkness as in nighttime darkness coming over the land in the middle of the day. Something specific and special is going on here. And then later, Matthew 27, 50, we read, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So this is the, the moment when Jesus... Dies, his life ends, and it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. You see, that centurion, that Roman soldier who was in charge of the crucifixion, in charge of overseeing the soldiers who were doing this to Jesus, and making sure that he was dead, he had to give an account for the fact that the people that he was to crucify were actually dead, that the job was taken through. Well, he sees all of this stuff happening, At the same time that this man dies, all of this stuff is happening. It's dark. I mean, really dark for three hours. There's an earthquake right when this man gives up his spirit and cries out and dies. His breath escapes him. There's an earthquake. Rocks are splitting. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. And at some point, it's a little bit ambiguous, honestly, but at some point, people are raised from the dead. And they they walk around and say hey to people. And he looks at that and he says, there's nothing else that could explain all of this other than the fact that this man who just died was no ordinary man. This was the son of God. Nothing else could explain all of this evidence. There's a there's a really well done show that recently came out on HBO. My wife and I got like some free trial HBO. and We, we watched the show. It's called Chernobyl. If you've ever seen the the previews to this or some interviews about, about some of the actors. But fantastic show. But it's about the 1986 nuclear power plant disaster at Chernobyl in Soviet Ukraine. Okay, So 1986, I was one year old. One of the reactors exploded, releasing radioactive debris and radiation through the air for miles. The men in charge were not willing to face the facts. The clear evidence. So they kept saying that it wasn't a serious accident. They kept denying that a reactor had actually exploded. This is not a serious accident. This is something that we can just handle. This is something that is fixable. But the evidence started mounting. How do you account for all these things that begin to happen at the same time as this accident? People started getting sick and throwing up and coughing up blood. Nuclear physicists from surrounding areas began to call in and warn of signs of radiation coming out from this central point. Firefighters responding to the explosion started getting sick. And then some of the men in these high positions, some of them who were denying that this could have happened, they started getting sick. And so the evidence started mounting to the point to where eventually everyone had to admit, yes, this is actually what happened. Absolute disaster. Many died because of their unwillingness to admit it. But you see, in the same way, God accompanies the death of his son with so many different miraculous signs and wonders that the centurion looks up, and those who were with him, it says, looks up, and, and they can't account for all of this stuff happening other than the fact that this man had to have been who they're saying he was. This man must have actually been the son of God because look at all that happened when he died. God is testifying, using his creation to testify to the world at that point. This man who just died is no ordinary man. This is my son. He just accomplished salvation for the world. And I'm showing it to you by these miraculous signs and wonders. So God testifies by the the water, Jesus' baptism. God testifies by the blood, Jesus' death. And God testifies in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. The testimony of God's Spirit in our hearts. Look at the end of verse 6 in our passage. The end of verse 6. It says, And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these, th- these three agree. The Holy Spirit is one of the ways God is testifying concerning His Son. You see, it always takes more than just objective external evidence to bring someone to Christ. It always takes more than that. It takes more than just objective external evidence to bring someone to Christ. Our hearts have to be drawn to him. Because, I don't know if you've noticed, but we as human beings, we can actually ignore evidence that is right there in front of our face. We're good at this. R.C. Sproul once said, human beings are adept at rejecting Objective evidence, when it does not confirm their prejudice. No matter how clear or compelling the evidence may be, some people will not be persuaded by all the proof in the world because they are not truly open to the evidence. And I find that to be true. Not just in the lives of other people out there. I have found that to be true in my own life at points. Go back to the Chernobyl example. These men in high-profile positions kept ignoring obvious evidence because they didn't want to face the truth, right? They had an emotional investment in this not being what happened. They had an emotional commitment to a different reality. And many people died because of their unwillingness to face the facts and how slow they were to actually admit, yes, this is what happened. External evidence alone is not enough to bring someone to Christ. It's important But it's not enough. Our hearts must be drawn to Jesus, and God does this through His Holy Spirit. The Spirit opens our cold, hard hearts to the message of the gospel. The Spirit allows us to begin to see the glory of Jesus and the beauty of the truth. And step by step, you come to the point to where you can't deny the truth anymore. Step by step, you come to the point to where even though the external evidence is there, it's always been there, you begin to know it in your heart without a shadow of a doubt. Surely this is the Son of God. Jesus is who he said he was, Savior of the world. He's the only way I can be reconciled to God. In John ten twenty seven. Jesus says something short but profound. He says, My sheep hear my voice. What's he saying there? He's saying, Those who are mine, they recognize me. They recognize my voice. When I speak, their hearts recognize it. It's in a language that their hearts can understand. Have you ever had someone call you on the phone and You didn't have their number on caller ID, or maybe it's a landline, or maybe you can remember back before we had all this caller ID. Someone calls you on the phone, and all they do is they say, hey, it's me, and you immediately know who it is, right? Like anytime my wife calls me from another number, if she doesn't have her phone or something, all she'll do is she'll say, hey, it's me. And I I immediately know who it is, you know, because I know her voice, and because no one else really calls me. But I know her voice, okay? (laughs) And you've had this happen to you, too. Hey, it's me. You know them, right? Right? You recognize their voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice and they know it. They recognize it in their hearts. Those who are his. We recognize him because the spirit is testifying in our hearts. And so John is saying in our passage, God has given a threefold testimony concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, you needed the testimony of two witnesses minimum, two witnesses to validate any claim. If you were going to, especially if you were going to put anyone to death, you needed the claim of two witnesses, not just one, but you had to have two. And here God gives us three, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And one of the beautiful things about this is he has left us Not only with the word, but with an ongoing threefold testimony. The spirit, the water, and the blood. We mentioned this earlier. It's not what John was referring to, but God has left us with the water. The waters of Christian baptism. Every time you see someone getting baptized, getting dunked under the water, you are watching a testimony from God to the deity of his son, Jesus Christ. You're watching that testimony of that person who is putting their faith in Jesus as the Son of God and being buried with Him and being raised to newness of life. He is the Son of God. We see it in baptism. We see it in the blood as we come around the Lord's table and we take that that little cup of juice. It signifies the new covenant in Jesus' blood, he said. And God has left us with these testimonies, but not only the the visual representation, but the Spirit testifying in the hearts of every believer, the Spirit convicting the hearts of those who do not know Jesus Christ. God has left us with this threefold testimony. And so the question this morning is, what will you do with the testimony of God? What will you do with God's testimony, the one that he has given? Look back at verse 9 with me. In verse 9, John essentially says this. He says, you receive the testimony of men if they're trustworthy. If a man testifies and he is trustworthy, you accept his testimony. And yet this is the testimony of God. This is the testimony of God. God is infinitely greater than any man. What will you do with the testimony of God? The centurion and those present at the cross said, Surely this man was the Son of God. They believed. Will you? Surely this man was the Son of God. John leaves us with essentially the consequences of belief and unbelief. Verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus claimed when he came that he was the only way to the Father. He is the only way that people can come to the Father. And John is saying the same thing. If you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son of God, if you do not have him, you do not have life is the spirit opening your heart to this this morning is the spirit opening your heart to god's message to god's testimony concerning his son has the spirit been opening your heart to the truth i wonder is there anyone in here this morning that the spirit has been opening your heart bit by bit to god's truth as we have gone through this book of first john As we inch closer to its conclusion, has the Spirit been cracking open your heart? It's a question only you can answer. Let us pray. Our great God, you have testified. And the only thing that remains is what we will do with your testimony. There are those who have taken your testimony into their hearts and have accepted your testimony concerning your Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, God, for those who have accepted, for those of us who have accepted your testimony, who have crossed over from death to life, God, we have to accept it every single day again. We pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to believe your testimony concerning your Son every day. Help us to put our trust in Jesus. And yet, God, there is a dividing line in this world between those who have accepted your testimony and those who have not. I pray that by your Spirit you would draw hearts to yourself this morning, hearts of those who have not yet fully embraced and accepted your testimony concerning your Son, Jesus Christ. Convict hearts by your Holy Spirit. Help us to always remember that those who do not have the Son of God do not have eternal life. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that He is alive today. We await His return.